0: as we are traveling through this wonderful book of the Bible about our freedom in Christ. How many of you are glad to be free? Now, most of the time when we say that, it's because we're referring to our freedom we have as Americans, and I'm glad for that, but how many of you are glad for the freedom you have in Christ? You see, somebody in communist China or in the 1040 window in a Muslim country can be just as free spiritually as you and I are, even though they might be in bondage to an enslaving nation. They too are free in Christ. And that's what Galatians speaks to us about, no longer being in bondage to the law, but freedom in Christ. And we're going to get in tonight to a very interesting story. You cannot find probably two better-known people in all the New Testament, not including our Lord and Savior, than Peter and Paul. Would you agree? I don't know if you think of any two more better-known, and I want you to see right in verse 11 what is about to transpire. Verse 11, Galatians chapter 2, uh, says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Anyone else catch that? I don't usually like to pause a whole lot, but something's happening. The pot's been stirred here. Because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, those came from Jerusalem, basically. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, Before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What an amazing passage we have just read. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we come to you just now, and we are in need of the work of our Holy Spirit tonight in this service our father and when we stand in a world that (coughs) is against you a world not longing to follow you father i pray that you would give us fortitude and strength to stand for truth and it's in jesus name i pray amen you may be seated (coughs) might need a moment Every once in a while, your throat catches you just right. It happens right in the middle of a message, doesn't it? So I might need a little bit more water. If I'll do, I'll make it. No, no need to get me any right now. I think this will be sufficient. But I have a little problem with the voice tonight. In Galatians chapter 2, as we get here, we come across two of the best known people in all of the New Testament. And I want us <coughs> to do as Paul did, to follow through. What I mean by that is in this passage, in the face of a man who at the time that Paul is writing about this, you'll remember he's writing to these Galatian churches as a man speaking of experience in the past and speaking of his calling to be an apostle. At the time that this incident would have happened in Antioch, Peter was the better known of the two. But there came something that stirred in the heart of the Apostle Paul. And as it did, Paul went to a man better known than him, and probably better standing among the people, (coughs) and corrected something that was absolutely wrong that Peter had done. You see, it's one thing to follow through when it's easy. It's another thing to follow through when it's difficult. I was reading, and I came across something that is really, and I I do a lot of reading, and you may not know this, but I actually look for stories that can be used in messages. Mike Finch, he has to work on Sundays now. He's here all the time on Wednesday. He got me a mug a few years ago. I have it at home. And it says, be careful, anything you say or do could be used against you by the preacher in the pulpit. Now, I don't do that to people, but I am a person. I actually look for stories that can be used, and I came across this recently, and it speaks of following through. We have old sayings that we know. Now, I will preface this by saying some in this congregation are not going to know the endings of these sentences any better than some of these third graders here. (coughs) But (coughs) in this... There's about 10 of them. Most of you will know these. How many of you know the statement, better safe than? Okay. Now remember, third graders were asked to fill in after the statement started. So the statement for them began, better safe than. And so these third graders filled in their thoughts. Now you immediately said it. Here were their responses. Better safe than punch a fifth grader. You all would know the answer to this one. Strike while the... Okay, not quite as many knew that one. Third graders wrote this. Strike while the bug is close. It's always darkest. Okay, third graders, I think, actually answered it better. It's always darkest before daylight savings time. They gave this one. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty. This one, this one may get some people. A miss is as good as? Oh, okay, yeah. The statement is a miss is as good as a mile. Here's what third graders wrote. A miss is as good as a mister. You can't teach an old dog. No, you can't teach an old dog new math. <coughs> this one is probably, thank you, Brother Tip. I might go through all of those tonight. There is something catching. I don't, my thro- no, I don't, I don't need anything like that. It's just something's caught in my throat. And I'm, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. This is a great one. An idle mind is... Well, I caught a few people. The devil's workshop. An idle mind is the best way to relax. These are third graders' wisdom. This one is great. A penny saved is... Not much money. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry. And you have to blow your nose a lot. <laughs> and, the, and the final one. If at first you don't succeed, cry, cry buy new batteries. That's what they put in. So the follow through is always very important. And we're going to see Paul follow through on what he's teaching. So much so that what he's doing, you remember part of what he's doing is he is verifying his apostleship before these churches. People had come into the churches of Galatia and tried to tear down the Apostle Paul and thereby tear down the gospel. And so Paul relates a story that happens between two great leaders who come face to face on opposite sides of one of the most important subjects in all of the New Testament. And it begins in verse 11, it says, but when Peter was come to Antioch. Now you've got to understand there are two of the best known churches in all of the New Testament. In fact, they are really the dividing line as much as Peter and Paul are of the content of the book of Acts. These two cities or the churches within those cities really are the dividing line between the church of, within the church of Acts. Does anybody know what those two cities would be? There's one that's obvious, Jerusalem. The second one is Antioch. In Antioch, it became a base for the missionary church movement and much of what we see today in churches was found in the early church period, especially there at Antioch, and there were many Gentiles being saved. Now we see in verse number 12 what happens with Peter and Paul comes down to this. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Now, let's do a little bit of work here. Who did eat with the Gentiles? Who's he? Okay, Peter ate with the Gentiles. Before people came from James, that's speaking of the church at Jerusalem. And we've just last week gone through the whole situation with the council at Jerusalem. Acts 15, what Paul said about it here in the beginning of Galatians chapter number 2. He did eat with them. So, catch the scene. Peter has come up for a visit. We do not know why. We don't know how often Peter came up. We don't know if they saw Peter face to face. They know. We don't really know anything more than he's there in that moment. We can't read anything else into that. We don't know how familiar he is with them. We don't know how often he traveled there, but he's there and he's eating. And as he's eating, he's having a great time with the Gentiles. Now, these are Gentiles, not Jews. And you remember, Peter had a certain vision. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And it was all the stuff you like. Yesterday, saturation Saturday breakfast, they always ask me and I always give the same answer when I'm in the line. Bacon or sausage? My answer is yes. (laughs) But especially bacon. And for me, there's no other bacon but crispy bacon. It's got to have solidity to it. That's Gentile food, my friends. And Peter's over there. We don't know exactly what they're eating, but I'm giving you just an understanding of what's transpiring here. And he's eating, and then people walk in that he knows. And he looks at his plate, and he looks at them, And he looks at his plate. And he looks at the Gentiles. And have you ever seen someone try to leave? So no one notices that they're leaving? Look at the rest of the verse. It says, But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. Did you know your life has influence? Peter's life had influence. He would have probably been the big name among the group. He and Barnabas, Barnabas is mentioned there. Barnabas was one of the great leaders at that early church in Antioch. And others follow him in so much, the Bible says, that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Folks, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Peter and Barnabas were 100% wrong. And they did it for the same reason you and I don't follow through on what we know is right. It's right there in the text. Sometimes people go, I wonder why Paul, it's, it's right there. The wonderful thing about studying your Bible is if you study it, you'll find the answer. God makes no mystery, and it's the same reason you and I have a problem today. Now, we're going to go over here to eat cake and pie. And f- now, hold on. we're getting my best amens right there. And you're going to go over there, and you're going to have your pie and your cake and your good thing, and nobody's going to walk in, and you're going to say, except maybe your wife, guys. No one's going to walk in. And which you're going to, oh, I better leave this table. Because I don't want them to see me. That's not going to happen. But there are things that happen in your life which you are doing that you know is right, but because of one reason, you'll do like Peter did and you'll withdraw yourself from a certain group. You'll withdraw yourself from a certain activity. Do you know what that one reason is? It's right in the text. Verse number 12. Look at it again closely. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, when people came of whom he was concerned, what they thought about him being at that table, eating that food, mingling with those people. He withdrew and separated himself. Notice, mark, circle, because it's a problem all of us have, whether we want to admit it or not. What is the word that comes after separated himself? Help me out. What is the word? What is it again? Say it again. Fear. Fear. Fearing. Fearing them which were of the circumcision. He feared those who came. Proverbs 29, verse 25, would tell all of us the fear of man, what does it do? Bringeth a snare. There are so many things for which we would stand for God, we would do, we would serve in, if it wasn't for those words. The fear of man. And the Bible doesn't say in Proverbs that it might, it could. It says it will. I love how definite God is. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Far too often as believers, we fear the thoughts of others. We fear what other people are going to think. And I'm not attempting to be ugly with what I'm saying. I'm not attempting to ask Christians to be unkind with what I'm saying. I don't want you to take my words and twist them for wrong purposes. That happens far too often in our movement. I want us to be open and to be honest. We fear the thoughts of men. We fear the words of others. We fear the actions of others. And we fear the rejection of others. And Christians will stand by. They will stand by. And they will allow people to say all kinds of wicked things about God, about His Word, about the church, about morality, all kinds of things. And people walk away going, boy, that really upset me. I'm not asking you to be ugly or unkind, but I'm asking you this. If they can say something, why can't you say something about, please don't say that about my Lord? I knew a man, brother, uh, Josh here, you know him, he's a coach. He's a very outspoken Christian. He coached my kids. You know who I'm referring to, right? You both, you both have coached and you've coached both of my kids. Anybody, I'm telling you, they could be 11 years old. They could, they could say something and that kid would get up and he'd kick a ball and he'd kick a ball wrong. And that kid would let out the name of my Lord and Savior in a derogatory way. And say the precious name of Jesus like a cuss word. He would stop practice. I've been there. You could ask my kids. He would stop practice say, excuse me. What are you blaming him for? You're the one who kicked it. Little 11-year-old. And he said, I'm not upset with you. But he, he would say, he said, that's my Lord and Savior. And I don't appreciate people using his name that way. I kid you not. Now, he was not mean to them. He would stop and explain, but he was definite. But I've seen him on the sidelines coaching games. And I've seen him there, and he would, he would hear an adult, he'd hear a parent. And you know his personality, he's this way. He would hear a parent use the name of our Lord in a derogatory way, and he'd stop, and he'd say, excuse me, was it his fault the referee called that? And he said, then please don't blame my Lord for what that referee did or what that player did. And I thought to myself, you know, if more Christians were willing to do that, maybe more people would not be willing to say some of the things that they say. You see, what, I, what I'm really getting at tonight is very, very simple. Not, not in an ugly way. And sometimes people think when I say this and I repeat myself, there's a reason why I do this. I know that things go out in video. People want to watch our show. They can watch it. But I want to make sure that I'm very clear to everybody. I'm not talking... Christians ought to be the most kind people on the face of this earth. That doesn't... Being kind doesn't mean you're a pushover. Christians ought to be meek. They ought to have their strength under control. Christians ought to have backbone, however... And I'm not looking for anyone to go out and pick a fight at Vaughn's with the next guy who. I'm, I'm, and I'm being, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm using some humor, but I'm being honest with you. And then walk away, and your wife comes to me and goes, You know, Tom has a black eye. Thanks a lot. I hope you all understand what I mean. What, what I'm looking at is this where are the Christians who are willing to follow through on what we say we believe? Did you know we had, we had local leaders with it? I'm in everything that I said, and I don't make endorsements from the pulpit. I can do that privately if I choose to. And I'm thankful for every one of them that I've met, and I've met in the past that was here today, and those that were representative, Mr. Wilk, who was here uh, his, one of his representatives was here I called him I emailed him during COVID just asking will you be supportive of our church as we make plans to reopen and I can show you what we're doing do you remember all those crazy days back then I kid you not I had to leave my information he called me personally on my cell phone within 10 minutes and talked to me for 15 minutes about how much he would stand with this church And the others that were here, I'm thankful for them. I believe that the ones that were representative of our community today are people who genuinely want to serve their local community. But as we look out at a culture that is allowing more and more and more of the wickedness of society to happen, when are there going to be some God-fearing Christians who get up and contact their local representatives. When I've heard from people who would most definitely be in the know, ask a group of preachers, do you know how many, how many phone calls it takes to a senator's or congressman's office to know, hey, this is a real issue you better think about? And we started guessing, and he said, it's much less. He said, try four. That's how little people stand up and talk about their culture. I was on a video conference a couple of years ago, and one of the men that was on there was by the name of Reince Priebus. Anyone recognize that name? I believe at one time he was the chair of the Republican Party. I'm not getting the party affiliation and all that. But he was on there speaking to pastors and churches. And I mean, he spent five minutes, and if he's not a preacher, I don't even know necessarily what his denomination would be. But I mean, he laid it to, there was probably a couple hundred preachers on this video conference Zoom call, and he laid it to us. And he said, guys, we need you in your pulpits to stand up for what's right. Amen. And he said, your, your church people do not know what's going on within government, within culture. Because he said, you're not telling them. And he said, you know what gets me? I mean, he was kind of going off on us. He said, you know what gets me? He said, all of you guys want to come to me and tell me what I ought to say in public. And I go and I visit churches and I never hear the pastors say a peep about what they tell me I ought to be talking about. And I'll tell you, that Zoom call was quiet. And you want to know the truth? He was 110% right. From the pulpit to the pew, not again in an unkind, ugly, mean-spirited way that is meant to trigger anyone to do anything that would violate the Word of God, but in a manner in which people and God's people would simply learn once again what it means to actually truly, in a spirit of love and truth, to stand up for the truth of God's Word. What you are getting here when Paul goes to Peter and withstood him to the face... And by the way, when you read that in verse eleven, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. And then he says, "Before them all," and he says what he says. I want you to understand that when you study that passage and you get kind of beyond some of the words that are here, it can it can be used in a way that sounds like I mean he was ready to deck him. I don't believe that would have been the spirit of the apostle Paul. It was with the spirit of correction. It was with the spirit of saying one man who wasn't going to be guarded by fear was going to another man who was leading others through fear to do what they shouldn't do, to simply stand up and say, you know that you're wrong in that. You know you need to stand up for God. Because it makes a difference when somebody follows through. And tonight I have four points that I want to make to you about this story. Number one, follow through because it makes a difference to others. Christian, I want you to understand something. This culture needs you. It is not time to back away. It is not time to give in and to give up. It is not time for any of that. It is time for godly people to stand up in a godly way to recognize their culture needs them. Christian, your state needs you desperately in this hour. And while there's a lot of things that I would encourage, I believe we're missing the main thing. This state needs a return to a lot of things, but what it needs primarily is it needs to return to pulpits that preach the Word of God in truth. It ought to sadden and motivate the heart of every child of God in the state of California to realize that there are well more than a dozen cities. You've heard me say this. This is not new unless you're brand new to the church. There are more than a dozen cities in the state of California with a population of 100,000 plus Victorville for example is now 135 plus 1000 people. Last count it was the 44th largest state our city in our state. There are a multitude of large cities. Victorville by California comparison is not all that large. Across the country it is a large city. 100,000 people. Well more than a dozen some churches are being started. Works are being restarted but well more than that number of churches in which there is no independent Baptist witness to speak of whatsoever. And don't be upset at me for saying this, but we'll go down south and we'll find a church on every corner. But in California, listen, what what I'm getting at, church, is it's not time to be defeated It's time to be motivated as to what God wants to do through his people once again, right here where we're at. To be reminded once again of what Mordecai said to Esther, who knows but thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is why you are here. And by, by way of example from this passage, follow through because it makes a difference to others. Think about something. Peter's there having a great time laughing yucking it up eating the food having a good time he's he's assembling with them and then these others walk in that Peter has a fear of what they think what they'll say what they'll report down in Jerusalem and he backs away let me ask you a question while trying to please them what do you think Peter did to those Gentiles that were sitting right there how do you think they felt Christian, right now we need some people who will, who will stand up and follow through on what they say they believe because, you know, what's happening right now is that there's some families sitting around and they're having meals and we're talking and we're having, we're having a good time together and then some influence comes up and mom and dad won't stand up for what's right. Let me ask you this. When mom and dad don't stand up for what's right, they don't follow through on what's right, what happens to those kids? What do they begin to think? Follow through. Because of the difference it makes to others. But then this, slightly different, follow through as an example to others. Follow through as an example. Just learn to live what we believe. Because when they watched, imagine their hearts sink as Peter walked away from them. Imagine their hearts rise up. And I know we don't think with pride. I don't we do things with pride. But in Antioch, Peter was there. And he's the well known one. I just, sometimes when I read the Bible, I want to envision what's happening. And I think it's an awesome scene. Imagine the hearts of those Gentiles who were defeated, and then they see Paul walk in. And then he locks eyes with Peter. And I'm sure there are a few people sitting at that table who thought, oh boy. And I don't believe in any way that Paul was ugly or unkind, but he was truthful. And I want you to see the example he set, yes, for Peter, yes, for Barnabas, but for those who needed to see the example of someone who was going to stand up and follow through on truth. Think now of what those Gentiles thought of Paul. And then this, follow through to strengthen others. You make a difference for others? You're an example to others, and you strengthen others. Take your Bible a few pages. Go over with me to the book of Philippians. Look at what the life of follow-through means. Paul here is writing the book to the church at Philippi, this letter. what We know as an epistle. We know that this is what's called one of the prison epistles. He wrote this while in chains. He speaks of them, verse number 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. But notice verse number 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, what happened was this. Paul gets shuffled off to prison for doing one thing. Preaching the word in truth, love, sincerity, and boldness. And there are people who heard him preach the word and got saved because of his preaching. There are churches that were established because God used his preaching. God used his teaching. God used his discipleship. God used his work. And when others wouldn't do it, he did it. The same story has been true all of these years. Nothing has ever changed. Paul did it. Other people watched. And a few served with him. But Paul goes to prison. Well, that's the end. That's it. We're done. No. Somebody stood up. And if Paul can do it, and he's willing to go to prison, then I'll tell somebody. It's an example. I want to ask us this. And as you can tell, there's some fire tonight because I think it's time we get serious about God. Some of us in this room, we use an excuse, and I'm going to be open with us. We use an excuse of saying we use our Bible on our phone when what you're really doing is checking the score of the game. I'm going to stop right there and let that sink in. What I'm getting at is this, Christian, when are we going to get serious about faith and stop toying around? Because there are opponents of the faith who are working nonstop for your destruction. On media, on TV, on movies. Watch the game this afternoon. Could not care who won. I slept through most of it just because mainly I wanted a nap and sometimes watching overpaid millionaires. Oh, the stress we're losing. Oh. Boy, I really hope your Maserati comforts you on the way home. All the stress you're under. Tens of thousands. And I'm not against sports. I like sports. Tens of thousands of people. Oh, ho, oh, oh. ho. Is Tom going to do it again? Oh, He's got a 100,000 yards in his whole wide career. What a hero! No, he can throw a football, folks. It's not a hero. In fact, watch an interview of him after he won a Super Bowl. They asked him a question, and you know what his response was? I'll tell you what my thought was. Is this it? Is this all there is? And he's still trying to pursue him. And you, might, I'm not. I'm not against Tom. Some of you don't know who his last name is. Don't worry about it. I'm not against Aaron. I'm not against. I'm not against Bryce Harper. I'm not against all these guys. But what I am against is this: Christians will go to these games. Oh! purple and red and blue and orange and I mean, guys. I'm just going to be have an honest, open moment with you. There comes a point in time. Well, one, I don't think, guys, you ought to be bare-chested at any point in public. But there comes a certain point where it should be outlawed. Stop painting yourself and getting on camera for millions of people to see that. Oh, I can't. Oh. And I understand there are special things, and there are special occasions told my wife I said the College National Championship is at SoFi Stadium January the 9th it's only gonna cost three thousand dollars babe to go to the game I just sit at home go plunk (laughs) and by halftime it's a blowout and listen I'm not I'm not against this stuff but we go crazy go nuts for sports. And I hope you don't find this next statement disrespectful. It's not meant to be that. But I think it's just a truthful statement. We're crazy about sports and we're bored with Jesus. The latest entertainer puts out a video. Everyone's got to see it. They're number one. We know all their, we know all their stuff. We know all, let me ask you this. When, what's the last thing they really did for your life? oh, they provided me music that got you through a tough time. No, it was the Holy Spirit of God that got you through that. And if you think it was some song that's out there, no, it was God's Holy Spirit. And it finally had a wake-up call when when these churches say, hey, Paul's in prison. That somebody said, well, who's going to do it now? They didn't give up. They kept going. And so now the word's going forth. Because, Christian, listen. Church family, listen to this. Follow through strengthens you to, to be more than just saying, yes, I agree with that. And to actually learn to live what we say we believe. That's all Paul was doing here. He was saying, this, I'm saved. I am a Jew, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But God told me to go give the gospel to every Gentile I can meet. And so I'm not going to have these fellows come in from Jerusalem, and I'm not going to have someone who's even better known than me, than Peter, walk away from this group, and the person who brought me with him, and we went together on our missionary journey, and Barnabas walk away with this group without immediately standing up and saying something. And I don't believe he was ugly or unkind or mean. He was honest. You look it down at what he said. And in Galatians chapter 2, he said, when I saw, verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all. He's not being ugly. He's asking him a question. This, when he went to him person to person, face to face, in front of the people, this is the question he asked. He said, if thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? What he said was this. Bob Jones Sr. used to say it very eloquently many, many years ago. What he was saying still holds true today. Your walk talks and your talk talks, Peter. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Peter, you're enjoying everything that you just walked away from in order to please this group over here instead of learning to walk the talk. And you might be able to sense that my heart's on fire tonight, and it is. My heart is burned tonight, and it is. Because we need to get back to some good, solid fire for an almighty God. And yeah, you know what? God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You don't need to take anything I said tonight about any athlete, any team, any sport, any entertainer, uh, anything, as long as what they're doing is wholesome and Fine, before an almighty God. You don't need to take anything I said negatively. What I'm trying to give us is a comparison tonight. Shame on us. Shame on us that some athlete devotes themselves more to bouncing a ball or throwing a ball or hitting a ball than any Christian gives to their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shame on us when that happens. Shame on us for anyone who believes things that are so anti-God. It's almost unbelievable. I almost think when I read the news today that I am sometimes reading some sort of satire. I can't believe that it's happening. And I'll tell you something. There are people out there who they will go to the end of the earth for what they believe in. And Christians face any kind of opposition and say, well, I'm just going to throw my hands up. You've heard me say, don't be ugly, so I'm not going to say it again, but I am saying this, Christian, two words, do right. Take this book at face value, God means what he says, and take it at face value and say, if God means what he says, then I live what he says. And come what may, I stand here and I don't stand there with the world. And I want to direct people to a God who loves them, to a God who forgives, a God who cleanses, a God who makes whole, a God who brings new life. But here I stand. I will do right till the stars fall. Do right. Christian, do right. Paul had his chance to compromise. Peter's in the midst, and Paul stood up in a generous, appropriate, but truthful way, and he stood up for what's right. Christian, just do right. Stand together, please, if you will. Our heads are bowed.